As the wise men followed the star to find their Savior and worship him, so let us see the light of his word that we too may know our Savior and worship him. Our text for our sermon is Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. This is the word of our Lord. What must I do to be saved? Some people ignore the question. Some people deny the question. Some people try to skirt around the question. And in our own lives, we have to admit that when we're younger, we usually aren't too bothered by it. It's as we start to see, as we get older, that life is fragile and precious that we truly begin to sink in with us, what must I do to be saved? And that is God's law at work in us. God's law that shows us our sin shows us we need to be saved. And it is God's word is at work when this happens. But to answer that question, before we look at the answer that the Apostle Paul gave us, let us look at the typical conversion of someone, of the one who would answer that jailer's question. Yes, the Apostle Paul's conversion is, in fact, although it seems out of the ordinary, very typical of how God works. Saul is studying to be a rabbi. And if you don't believe he was on the fast track to be one of the great rabbis of his day, understand that he was a student of Gamaliel who was the most respected rabbi of his time. Saul is zealous for this. And he hates this upstart religion that claims that all of Christianity, that claims that all the Bible points to Christ. And he really hates the fact that it teaches that salvation is a free gift. This man who knows the scriptures better than I ever will misses it. And he's on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. He has found a loophole. He's working through the law. He can arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem, and have them stoned to death for blasphemy. He's been doing this for a while. He held the coats for the people when the first Christian was killed, Stephen. Wanted to make sure they could get their arms in for a good throw. And so it is that he's on his way, and suddenly a bright light comes... And the voice of Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Which is a wonderful comfort for you and I. When you are persecuted because of your faith, you are united to Christ because of your faith. And so the way Christ sees it is, you're not picking on my lamb, you're picking on me. 
Saul, in terrible fear, says, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus Christ, whom you persecute. What must I do to be saved is the gist of Paul uh, of Saul's reasoning. Jesus tells him, go and be baptized. Notice, Saul didn't have any choice in this matter. He didn't make a decision. God shows up and gives him the faith and then tells him, now get going and get baptized. He becomes, God renames him, he becomes the apostle Paul. Now, there were 12 other apostles at this time. And recall that not a one of them was going to the seminary at that time or was a rabbi. The apostles that God sends out primarily to the Jewish people are fishermen. He wanted to avoid all the poison that came with the teaching of, of rabbis. But, but for the Gentiles... He needs somebody who can explain how that Old Testament works out for them. So us Gentiles get the rabbi. Saul is sent out into the world. There are places like Antioch where the Jewish people will drag him out of town and they will stone him. Saul is persecuted and he rejoices in it. Doesn't say he doesn't make him miserable. In fact, from that point on, it seems he had health issues. The Lord didn't just miraculously protect him, but he kept him alive miraculously. Saul signs his letters with big letters. He writes the Romans there. He has a thorn in the flesh he prays to have removed three times. He has some kind of an obstacle that he feels is getting in the way of his proclamation of the word. And what does God say to his prayer? No, that thorn in the flesh remains. Why? Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. When we realize we're weak, when we realize we are sinners and we can't help but to sin, when we realize even our proclamation of the word of God, it needs God to stand behind it. It needs his ruling over time and history. Then we truly understand grace. And so it is that we find our apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, in the city of Philippi. And as he's going around, there's this slave girl who happens to be possessed by a demon. And this demon is making this girl that it's possessed follow behind Paul and his evangelism partner Silas, screaming, These men have the word of God! They have the word of salvation! Listen to them! Now, was that demon speaking the truth? Yes. But if I was preaching a sermon and one of you kept standing up saying, Pastor Sermon's got the truth, hallelujah, amen, everybody listen to him. You would be distracting the message. It would keep everybody from hearing it. It's not because Paul is irritated after three days because of this demon, even though it's telling the truth, doing it in a way that distracts from the message, that Paul turns around and says, be quiet, be gone. This slave girl is not a believer and yet seeing the harassment she endures for three days, the Apostle Paul, who had once persecuted Christians, who calls himself the chief of sinners, not by his own power, but by the power of the word of God, says, be quiet, come out of her. He just made a mistake in the eyes of that slave owners. You see, the demon made them money. It would predict people's futures. Now, the devil and the demon only know the future according to what's in the Bible. They know at some point in time it's going to get a lot uglier for them. They know they've been defeated by the cross. 
But you know, when I was younger, I used to read Sherlock Holmes novels, and, and he could conjuncture things. He could tell, you know, uh, worn out spots on a man's uh, pants showed that he had a millstone on him and was working away, and he could guess, you know, that, that he worked with millstones. Well, you consider that the demon in the, that the devil and his demons were originally angels who would have sang out at the creation of man, and then it was the devil who tempted Adam and Eve. They've been observing human behavior from the get-go. And while it's clear they don't know the future in everything, they can look at your behavior and guess how it's going to go because they've been observing this since the history of humankind. So the owners know they're losing money and they get the government involved. The Apostle Paul had something that even our Lord didn't have. You see, if you were a Roman citizen, you had the right. You know, in America, you can go all the way to the Supreme Court if the Supreme Court views that you have a valued case. As a Roman citizen, you could say, I appeal to Caesar, and you went right to the Supreme Court. As a Roman citizen, you had the right to a fair trial. As a Roman citizen, with the exception of a few atrocities, you could not be crucified. As a Roman citizen, you were not to be beat with the cat of nine tails without the fair trial. Three words. Kiwis Romanusum. I am a Roman citizen. If you were lying, they would crucify you. But if you were, they had to stop and give you a fair trial. Why did the Apostle Paul not say Kiwis Romanusum? As that girl's owners had him arrested, they had him flogged and beaten. That's Christian love, brothers and sisters in Christ. The Apostle Paul had it in his heart to convert those inmates. Now, inmates in those days weren't quite like our inmates. It was more like debtor's prison. Still, even our inmates, we want to share the word of God with them. But their prisons at that time tended to be caves with chains nailed into the wall, secured into the wall. They, 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 they really weren't the accommodations we have today, but the criminal acts, if, if, you, if you were a rapist or a murderer, they just nailed you to a cross. The Romans didn't deal with that. So it's more of a debtor's prison. But still, Paul decides he'll take a beating, not knowing if the Lord is going to grant him the grace, but hoping to share the word of God with the inmates. So we find ourselves at today's story. The people hand him over to the, the, over to the jailer. And they tell him to make him secure. Now all the jailer has to do is chain him up to the wall, make sure they don't escape. He's kind of wants to doubly sure. He puts them in stocks. And the stocks at that time, archaeologists have found them. They spread your legs tight. And then they clamp them down. So you weren't in them very long before you started getting pretty bad cramps in your thighs and stuff. This jailer is a bit cruel. He's mean, isn't he? Goes above and beyond what he has to do. So what does Paul and Silas do? Does Paul cry out, Kiwis Romanusum? Uh-uh. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Pay very close attention, brothers and sisters in Christ. Hymns are meant to be singing the word of the Lord. They should be drawn from the Lord, word of the Lord. People say, if we don't start singing rock and roll style music, we're not going to get people in our church. Wrong. If we don't sing hymns that are a proclamation of the word of God, we're just being entertained. But these hymns... They, they teach the word of God. So Paul is actually preaching. Paul and Silas, they're preaching the word of God to those inmates 
through their singing. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Scary time. See, I used to work in a prison. And in my early training, they had told us, you can, you can give inmates everything you want. You cannot enforce one rule on them. You're still the man in the uniform. And if they get a chance, don't think that they won't try to kill you. On top of that, if you were an inmate, and I saw this too. Inmates, we called it short-timer syndrome. Ten days from being released, couldn't stand it anymore and would try to escape. So I can assure you, these people, they, most of them were in as debtors. I don't understand the logic there. You can't pay a large sum you owe, so we'll throw you in jail and chain you to a wall so that you can't work and we'll keep you there until you pay off your debt. Not very smart, but if I was in those positions and the chains came loose, boy, you can bet I'd be out of there, gone. On top of it all, the Romans had a rule. If you were the warden, if you were the jailer and an inmate escaped and was not and was not caught, you got to suffer his punishment. So if he was supposed to get 39 lashes, you got 39 lashes. If he was supposed to be crucified, you got crucified. And as I said, to top it all off, that jailer was the one keeping those guys inside. And we saw even the way he put Paul and Silas in stocks and stretched out their legs doing so. He, he made extra care to make sure they didn't get out. Bit cruel. So some of those inmates probably had reason to want revenge. And so we can understand why we, we can, not that we would do the same thing. We can understand why when the jailer woke up from that earthquake and he saw the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Any left behind are going to beat him bad. And in worst case scenario, he may even end up crucified. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights. They didn't flick light switches then. They had to sit there and strike the flint and light the torch. Rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. This man knew something. He knew he had just seen a miracle. He knew something big had happened. The word of the Lord had done something. That word they were singing through their hymns. And it had kept those inmates there. So he asks the big question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The apostle who one time killed Christians doesn't seek revenge. The Holy Spirit's in his heart. He's already forgiven the man. He doesn't want the man to go to hell. He came in wanting the inmates. God blessed that and gave him the inmates. He's going to come out with the jailer as well. And so what does Paul answer? Notice there's a problem with the man's question. And this is, we always ask the wrong question. What must I do to be saved? That's the natural religion of man. I have to earn it. I have to work for it. Salvation is a free gift. The Apostle Paul says to him, and Silas joins in, obviously, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And what they're saying is, your household believe too and they too will be saved. They're not just going after the jailer, they want his whole family. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Notice who God goes after to get the house. He goes after the head of the household. 
He goes after the male that God has established to be his representative. When he has that, it all falls in place. I often marvel, it's God's word that the Holy Spirit works through to make us believe in that very word. But there was a study done a few years ago, and they looked at what keeps a person in the pew when they grow up. It's very helpful to have Christian mothers, and believe me, I'm very grateful for my Christian mother. But the single biggest factor that they saw, when Papa is in the pew, the kids are the most likely as adults to park back in that pew. It's amazing the role God intends for fathers to have. So when God wants the whole family, he goes after the head of the family. And a household in those days would include slaves. You see, you didn't own a Sears Kenmore dishwasher. You owned somebody who washed dishes. And chances are they would turn around and fall in love with one of your slaves or something. They would get married and they would have children. So households in these days, among especially those who could afford slaves, were very big. God takes the whole household through this man, through this man saying, sir, what must I do to be saved? And we're told, uh, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. In baptism, God seals the Holy Spirit in your heart. There are Christians today who think baptism is their way of saying, Lord, look at what a great guy or gal I am. I've made my decision for you, and now I'm being baptized to show you that. Uh Uh-uh. That's not what Scripture teaches. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 tells us, the Apostle Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift is the Holy Spirit, resulting in the forgiveness of sins. And he says, This promise is for you and your children. Baptism is for children. The people who want to ban baptism from children, it's because they want to earn their salvation. They've got it wrong, and they're screwing up the word of the Lord. With children, we seal the Holy Spirit in there, and we teach them about their Savior as they grow up. With adults, we teach them what's going on, then we baptize them, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul and Silas did. And again, his whole family was baptized with all those, with his household and everybody. There's a good chance there's children in there. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. The man who was so cruel is now overwhelmed with joy. He knows the greatest treasure of life. He knows that Jesus has given him free salvation. And now that love cannot help but to pour out of that heart that was willing to at least be a little cruel earlier on that evening. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Let me tell you the end of this story. The next day, the people of the town, the town council comes, and they want to get Paul and Silas, and they want to take, they want to take action on him. Then, only then, does the Apostle Paul finally say, Kiwis Romanusum, and they all but mess their pants, because they know that they are in trouble. The Lord had worked through a man who was willing to endure hardship to bring not just the inmates, but even the jailer into salvation. When you have hard times in your life, don't kid yourself, God very well may be working through you in your hardship to bring somebody else to faith. Don't kid yourself when you sing those hymns. You are preaching. Sometimes we forget that as families. When you're on the family trip and the car tire blows out and the engine blows a rod at the same time and you're sitting there going, why? 
Sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. You'd be amazed the teachable moment God is using for you. He'll take care of the other stuff. So brothers and sisters in Christ, as we look at that question, what must I do to be saved, we see the answer. We don't do. God does. God sends people like the Apostle Paul, our mother and father, our friends into our lives. They share the word of God with us in various ways that we receive it. It leads us to be baptized. With our baptism, the Holy Spirit is sealed into our hearts. With our children, we seal that Holy Spirit in there and and continue teaching them about our Savior. What must I do to be saved? God has saved you as a free gift, given you faith so that you cling to him as the jailer learned to do and you have everlasting life. Amen. Please rise. And now the peace which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.